Kia ora and welcome to RNZ's Insight Programme. I'm Philippa Tolley. This week, voting and digital influencers. Social media companies like Facebook, along with big data companies, are harvesting and processing vast amounts of information from users' online profiles, which is increasingly being used to target political advertising. These techniques have been used in the recent US and British elections, and this insight explores how far New Zealand political parties will use the same technique in this year's election campaign. Go, go ahead. Go ahead. The rise and triumph not, not of you. Donald Trump. Not you. you your organization is you terrible. Your organization is terrible. Let's go. You are fake news. Go ahead. The Brexit referendum. Isn't it funny? You know, when I came here 17 years ago, you all laughed at me. Well, I have to say, you're not laughing now, are you? Great Britain's general election this year. I've been involved in opposing anti-terror legislation ever since I first went into Parliament in 1983. Close down NATO! All three had results the mainstream media failed to anticipate and all featured online campaigning in ways never seen before. Some of those methods have sparked fears that the profound changes to the media landscape wrought by the rise of social media and online advertising are now altering the democratic process itself. I'm Adam Bennett. And this week's Insight takes a look at how politicians are increasingly using big data and social media in their election campaigns. The hoardings went up in the last week as this year's general election campaign began in earnest. And the political party's early campaigns are upbeat appeals to an idealised version of how we see ourselves, like this offering from the National Party. Together we are strong. And this from the Greens. And I want it to be great for ages. Forever. Let's do this together. So far, the advertising is in stark contrast to the negative campaigning and attack ads seen in Britain's recent snap election campaign, the US presidential campaign and the Brexit referendum. Speaking to wealthy donors, Hillary Clinton called tens of millions of Americans deplorable. All three of these campaigns and the French presidential election also prompted growing fears about the use of targeted, false or misleading information masquerading as news, along with online attack adverts, all of which was highly targeted at specific groups of people. Critics say political campaigning, along with other forms of advertising, is now moving beyond the techniques used by marketers in the past where people were divided into broad demographic groupings. They suggest we're now in a new era where artificial intelligence and psychological warfare techniques are combined to influence the outcome of elections. Vast amounts of user data, including social media likes, posts and other online activity, are being processed using new so-called big data analytics to construct individual psychological profiles. You know what's deplorable? Hillary Clinton viciously demonising hard-working people like you. I'm Donald Trump, and I approve this message. One of the companies at the heart of such worries is Cambridge Analytica, which is controlled by Robert Mercer, a billionaire hedge fund manager and computer scientist with ties to President Donald Trump and Brexit Leave campaign champion and former UKIP leader Nigel Farage. In Britain earlier this year, the Observer newspaper reported that Cambridge Analytica had been instrumental in the success of the Brexit Leave campaign. Here's a little of what the Observer reported. 
Cambridge Analytica, an offshoot of a British company, SCL Group, which has 25 years' experience in military disinformation campaigns and election management, claims to use cutting-edge technology to build intimate psychometric profiles of voters to find and target their emotional triggers. Trump's team paid the firm more than $6 million to target swing voters, and it's now emerged that Mercer also introduced the firm to Farage. Cambridge Analytica has challenged the Observer over its reporting. But in a piece about Cambridge Analytica's role in Donald Trump's victory, the Financial Times reported... The psychology component comes from a database that the company has created by persuading an astonishingly large number of people to complete surveys on platforms such as Facebook. Cambridge Analytica compares this with information it harvests about aspects of those consumers' lives to ascertain psychological patterns. The idea is that if someone knows how you shop, live, communicate, travel and so on, you can extrapolate backwards to create messages that resonate in a psychological sense. Here's Cambridge Analytica's chief executive, Alexander Nix, speaking last year about his company's techniques. Psychographics. That is an understanding of your personality, because it's personality that drives behaviour, and behaviour that obviously influences how you vote. So how is this possible? Well, at Cambridge, we've rolled out a long-form quantitative instrument to probe the underlying traits that inform personality. This is the cutting edge in experimental psychology known as the OCEAN model. OCEAN being an acronym for openness, how open you are to new experiences. Conscientiousness, whether you prefer order and habits and planning in your life. Extroversion, how social you are. Agreeableness, whether you put other people's needs and society and community ahead of yourself. And finally, neuroticism, a measurement of how much you tend to worry. By having hundreds and hundreds of thousands of Americans undertake this survey, we were able to form a model to predict the personality of every single adult in the United States of America. The effectiveness of Cambridge Analytica's techniques have been challenged, and some critics say what the company is doing is nothing new. Nevertheless, Britain's privacy watchdog, the Information Commissioner's Office, confirmed it was investigating data protection risks arising from the use of data analytics, including for political purposes. The British Information Commissioner's Office has also reportedly approached Cambridge Analytica over concerns about its use of personal data. To find out more about how Cambridge Analytica's psychographic techniques work, RNZ's community engagement editor, Megan Whelan, sat down with Victoria University's Professor Val Hooper in a Wellington cafe and completed the company's online questionnaire. Professor Hooper lectures in marketing, research methodology, consumer and buyer behaviour and information systems management and is familiar with the principles behind Cambridge Analytica's techniques. So what was the questionnaire saying about Megan? I like to be the centre of attention and pursue intellectual and artistic activities. I like challenges. I'm impulsive and tend to become impatient and frustrated when stuck in a routine. I have a tendency to be disorganised and are likely to be easily influenced by others. I'm not going to say whether or not any of that is true, but I can see how for a marketer that would be useful information. Absolutely, yes, yes. Um, And particularly if we know the people, then you can segment your market according to those sorts of profiles. So for certain types, you would send them um, 
you know, promotional material appealing to those aspects of, of, of themselves. You know, their openness, their willingness to embrace new things, you know, this exciting and challenging. And for the more conservative ones, you know, we realize that you think through things very thoroughly and you don't want to embark on risky things. You are cautious and wise and all those sorts of things. So you, you couch your message in those terms. And you do exactly the same for your political campaigning, exactly the same. You would use certain front people to front up in ads and promotional material that would appeal to those different segments. You don't think it's voluntary. You think that there's the screen, the screen is protecting you, and you're just doing it from this side, and you're doing these little quizzes, and nobody's going to know about it. As soon as you put finger to um, you know, any little keyboard, it goes into cyberspace, and somewhere somebody's taking note of it. Cambridge Analytica says its questionnaire allows users to discover yourself. But why would anyone fill in a questionnaire like this? Well, you're effectively doing it every time you update your status, publish a post, or click like on Facebook and other social media. Megan also completed Cambridge University's Apply Magic Source Test, which asks users to submit their Facebook or Twitter data to construct a psychometric profile. So this is quite impressive. It thinks I'm a woman. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, in fact, it's 90% sure that I'm a woman. Uh, it's, I, I, I enjoy this. Between conservative and traditional and liberal and artistic, I am straight down the middle, which for a Radio New Zealand journalist I'm quite pleased about. It says that I'm impulsive, contemplative... Uh, and spontaneous. And, yes, impulsive yes, and spontaneous. Yes. spontaneous. Uh, contemplative. I'm better at working in a team than I am competitive. Mm-hmm. And I'm quite laid back and relaxed. Um, and then if we scroll down a bit, uh, it says that I'm, what is this, more intelligent than 59% of the population, uh, more satisfied with life than 40 I think population. they probably put <laughs> that on there for everybody. <laughs> I feel like my Facebook is maybe not a great reflection of my intelligence, but whatever. <laughs> and while the principles behind the Cambridge Analytica and Apply Magic Source personality tests have been around for decades... Professor Hooper says technology has not just changed how the data is gathered, but revolutionised how it is processed for use. Anything that increases our ability to analyse and to understand helps us then to act upon that information in a more appropriate manner. And I I think it's the the analytical ability, such as being able to analyse language according to a whole lot of criteria, and that is developing all the time, you know, you've got IBM's Watson and Diction, programs like that that certainly help you to analyse people's conversations and the content of what they've said. So in that regard, very much so. And then you've got the social network analysis and you can see who the important people are in the networks and who to target. And that sort of thing would have been very difficult to do without the technology. And it can be done so quickly. To show how all of this may dictate the type of advertising or promoted post you might see in your social media feed or other messaging from politicians, here's Cambridge Analytica's Alexander Nix again using the example of anti-gun control advertising. If you know the, the personality of the people you're targeting, you can nuance your messaging to resonate more effectively with those key audience groups. So, for a highly neurotic and conscientious audience... You're going to need a message that is rational and fear-based or emotionally based. 
in this case, uh, the threat of a burglary and the insurance policy of a gun is very persuasive. Conversely, for a closed and agreeable audience, these are people who care about tradition and habits and family and community. This could be the the grandfather who taught his son to shoot and the, the father who will in turn teach his son. Obviously, talking about these values is going to be much more effective in communicating your message. Cambridge Analytica, which has reportedly been courting Australian politicians recently, is not the only company working in this space. In fact, Stanford University psychologist and data scientist Michael Kaczynski, who developed these techniques, including the Apply Magic Source Test, says Barack Obama's last campaign used them too. Professor Kaczynski has also worked with Facebook in this field. And Facebook and other online media are set to play a bigger role than ever in New Zealand's upcoming election. It gets more important every time. With three election wins out of four, the National Party's Stephen Joyce is arguably the most successful political campaign director in New Zealand's history as he heads into his fifth election. We tend to have these conversations at each election, but actually um, I think it's like a lot of things digitally, you know, they just keep growing in importance. And, uh, and I think we're now at the point where, where a lot of stuff that happens in, in social media uh, can can have a bigger impact on the way people perceive political parties and, than some of the traditional media. However, he downplays how much of a game-changer advertising on social media is, saying it's just another advertising platform and the ability to target advertising is no different to other media. I ran a radio company for a long time which basically ended up segmenting its audiences a whole bunch of ways through different radio stations to deliver to different target markets that different people wanted to um, to speak to. Um, and so in that context, what we see today in social media is just taking that to another level. Uh, it's still not accurate. It, I mean, at the end of the day, everything's an approximation, but it's trying to, to help advertisers of all types, including political parties, uh, to, a chance to reach the sort of people that will be interested in their, in their messages. Stephen Joyce says National's campaign will use an array of data sources to target its advertising. Um, it'll be a mixture of both. Um, you know, we've always uh, had our own, um, if you like, our own data sources. But in terms of working with Facebook, um, I think most of that will be through their, um, you know, the various things they, they provide for their advertisers. Um, I don't see us um, trying to, to titillate that too much. I mean, again, Facebook, from what I can see, is not an exact science. I mean, there's all sorts of ads that you see as a consumer on Facebook. You think, well, how the heck did that land up in my um, stream? But um, it's, it's, it's as good as what you've got, and so you tend to, tend to use it. The Labour Party's General Secretary and Campaign Director, Andrew Curtin, also stresses the increasing importance of data-driven online advertising. It's going to be very important. This campaign is going to be more digital than the last campaign, which was more digital than the campaign before that. We're moving more towards that space where uh, political parties, where they want to engage with voters, need to do so on voters' terms. Uh, Gone are the days where everyone gathers round the six o'clock news on TV and gets their uh, information in the same way. Um, we've got an opportunity now to direct information about our policies because we're a political party and we want people to understand our policies and our direction. Uh, we've got an opportunity to direct those uh, to uh, our voters uh, in their space on their terms. The Labour Party's head of digital, Andrew Burns, offers a little more detail on how the party is sharing data with Facebook 
to better target voters. So um, we're able to put in the types of people that we're looking at targeting that we've got through our own data. So that's you know the publicly available data as well as the electoral roll data that political parties have access to, um, any data that we've collected, and then put those uh, the people who we think are likely to swing to Labour or we need to get out um, directly into Facebook and then segment those as well. And so how does that work? Do you give that information to Facebook and they crunch it with, with their own data to give you actionable information? Um, so, yeah, it's very generalised in the sense of, like, we can upload a list of people we think might be, then Facebook hashes that data, so they don't know who those people are, and you can't download that data in an identifiable sense. So they identify a whole lot of Facebook profiles which they think are those or similar to those people, uh, and then from there we can then segment that data. Vaughan Davis, who runs Auckland advertising and social media company The Goat Farm, told me any Facebook user is by now already familiar with micro-targeted ads even if they don't know it. Let's talk about dark posts or dark ads first, and they seem really spooky, dark. Um, All they really are is posts that, in this case a political party, puts on their Facebook page and then promotes to different audiences. But, and here's here's why it's called dark, if you go to the Facebook page, the the post itself is not visible on the page. It's kind of the mechanics of Facebook. For, For something to be boosted or promoted, it must first be on your page, but in this case it's dark. So it's only served to a certain audience. Now, the second part of your question is around the, the micro-targeting or the way these these posts are targeted. No one, or almost no one, runs a Facebook ad and serves it to everyone. You know, there's 2 billion monthly users on Facebook. So for starters, they, you know, they cut it down to geography, and they might cut it down to New Zealand, to Auckland, to Greylin, and then within that they might go women in Greylin, and they might go 25 to 30-year-old women, and then they might go 25 to 30-year-old women who like cats, and they can do all this, and that's the micro-targeting side of it. It gives you the opportunity to not just advertise, but to listen. So you can, you can, you know, the, the comments, the likes, the dislikes or whatever that come under your, your post, are, are, they're valuable information. So you can, you know, put out uh, an ad that is at once an ad and also it's a kind of a poll. So you're doing two things at once, which is, uh, which is pretty powerful. But Wellington marketing executive Anna Dean is in no doubt Facebook is already monitoring users for the type of information Vaughan Davis is talking about to refine its services for political and other clients. She was behind the successful social media campaign to promote Taika Waititi's film, What We Do in the Shadows. Her agency, Double Denim, is working on the Green Party's campaign. People think that they're just clicking like to show their friends what they are enjoying or you know, showing their friends that they, they have a reaction to something, but it's all being added into your kind of personality matrix and it means that you can be targeted by advertisers. So... I mean, this, the developments that are happening in uh, the online space are a marketing dream, really, for people like myself. Um, but it's interesting because I don't think a lot of people realise how specific and how targeted um, their actual private Facebook kind of existence can be these days. And the micro-targeting that goes on now means that um, a particular company who might be trying to sell juice can um, find their competitors company and they can target specifically the people who like their competition and it has huge implications in a political landscape uh, I've seen figures that that Trump spent 95 percent of his his overall overall campaign budget particularly on online targeting um, I shudder to think 
what the technology is going to be like in another three years' time when we're facing another election, um, because everything has changed so much in the last three years. We're almost in the teenage years of social media, really, and people keep coming up with new ways to target. I don't know what that means for the future. Yeah. <laughs> in the United Kingdom earlier this year, similar concerns about micro-targeted political ads led Sam Jeffers to set up Who Targets Me to monitor their use during the election. About 12,000 people signed up and downloaded an application which allowed the group to collect information about targeted ads. We were able to look at the ads people were seeing, capture those into our system and then play back some data to people about which campaigns, which parties were trying to reach them with paid media. So initially it's just, it's just Facebook. I think in the future we hope to be able to expand it to more, more types of paid digital advertising, but, but Facebook was well is the biggest player in, in that space and, and certainly where the parties here spend most of their money. So um, it seemed like the best place to start. Sam Jeffers says one of the main findings was the character of the political advertising. A lot more negative advertising than you see in a, in, in a normal UK election. Um, and I think that's a sort of feature of Facebook, really, the ability to kind of reach a, an audience you think will be receptive to negative campaigning without having to send the same ads to people you think might be switched off by negative campaigning. So I think one of the reasons why Facebook is such a useful tool for parties is that they're able to kind of split their message and show one message to one set of people and one message to another. At this point, there appears to be little concern about political messaging on social media in this country. Insight asked the Young Nats president, Stefan Sunday and his young Labour counterpart, Matt Van Wyck, to compare what was surfacing in their Facebook feeds and how they felt about the type of content Facebook was serving them. Stefan Sunday had few worries about what digital content was coming his way. Personally, I... I... I'm not in the least bit concerned about it. I think, I mean, if, if Facebook is able or any internet website is able to work out what I want to see and, and show me that, I'd probably defer on the side of that being a good thing. Um, I'm sure there are, you know, the, the, the tinfoil hat brigade who will be paranoid that the government's spying on them and all that, all that nonsense, but personally I don't have an issue with any of that stuff. Young Labour's Matt Van Wyck felt there was perhaps not enough political content in users' Facebook feeds. I think when we recognise that we often get shown things from Facebook that reinforce what we engage with, the Mm. challenge then for us becomes, how do we break out of this echo chamber? Because the people who we're speaking to are then speaking, are then going to receive our messages a lot more. But there are lots of people who then feel disengaged from politics, who don't engage in political pages, who then don't see politics or what politicians are talking about. Mm. And that reinforces again for them in the same way that politicians aren't doing anything. And so it's how can we uh, overcome Facebook, Facebook's algorithm in this sense and actually reach those people and communicate that we do care and that we are trying to do something for them. We contacted Facebook's New Zealand representatives asking for an interview for this programme. After initially indicating Facebook's Director of Policy in Australia and New Zealand might talk to us, in the end we were told she was unable to. However, the public relations company did respond to questions with this email. If New Zealanders believe that they encounter political content in New Zealand that contravenes New Zealand law, they should refer this in the first instance to the Electoral Commission. We can then work with the Commission to address any concerns. Electoral law expert Andrew Geddes of Otago University says New Zealand's electoral laws have been written in a media-neutral way. 
That means that any paid political messaging, whether broadcast, online or in print, should be subject to the same rules and spending limits. Now, of course, there's the difference between the laws as they're written and then the laws as they're applied. And one of the questions we might see as things do move online and um, as anonymous speech and so on becomes a little easier and uh, the the information can be distributed uh, much more quickly and much more easily is whether enforcement of those rules is going to be uh, as easier as possible as they were in the old media world. So when the way that things were distributed were through pamphlets, through the letterbox or billboards on the side of the road or newspaper ads or ads on TV, it was a lot easier to kind of trace, well, who's behind that, who's paying for it, you know, where are these things coming from? Once we move online, uh, that might just become more difficult. Just two months out from the election, the Chief Electoral Officer, Alicia Wright, is keen to assure the public that the Commission is ready to handle whatever comes its way during the campaign. We anticipate that the amount spent on on online advertising is probably going to go up, um, and it will be um, substantially greater this election than it was in previous elections. I also think it will go up in 2020 as well, even more. The regime and the principles and the rules apply and cut across that medium, and so at this point I think the regime works well. You don't see any particular qualities about the medium? The power of the medium means that it needs special regulation? We're lucky to be here at a, at a bit of a frontier, at a point where we're transitioning. You can see a transition occurring as we go from that radio to TV to digital online space. There probably are some things that we're going to need to think about as we go forward, some things that we hadn't even considered happening. We'll need to work those through. But the principles that underpin the regime and how we work around openness, around transparency, being very clear about who is saying what, where the money is coming from, and that there is a level playing field and that things are fair. Those principles apply irrespective of the medium that we're in. Victoria University's Professor Val Hooper says that concession that the Commission could be more reactive than proactive highlights the problem faced by all watchdogs of the democratic process throughout the world. Because it's so unpredictable, one doesn't know what's going to be happening. It's very difficult to, to legislate against something that you don't, you know, you can't really predict. So it's always catch up. And when, when you talk about laws or policies, it always is a long process to get those finalised and implemented. And by then, a whole new host of things have developed. Who targets me, Sam Jeffers, says the challenge posed by data-driven, highly targeted advertising to Britain's Electoral Commission means the work his group is doing is important to protect the integrity of the democratic process. So there is a sort of issue about regulation, um, and I think it's one of the big concerns that sort of fueled interest in our, in our project, really, was that people were just kind of like, this stuff is very ephemeral, it, it can just disappear, and therefore people can make false claims or spend too much money or use data in a questionable way and there won't really be a way to track that. The Goat Farm's Vaughan Davis also suggests it's up to voters themselves to curb the power of Facebook and its clients to sway elections. The way forward here is for us as citizens of the internet, and that's what we all are, you know, like it or not, we're citizens of the internet. It's down to us to educate ourselves and to educate our families and to educate our children that what we're seeing through that Facebook news feed is curated, and whether it's by a human or a computer, it is curated, and to understand the difference between an ad and an organic story from your friends, and sometimes that's hard to tell. 
long term, maybe this is something that we need to look at as uh, you know, as society and go, well, if this is our view of the world and it's being controlled by some you know, uh, publicly listed company in California, do we want some control or at least some transparency around that? I'm Adam Bennett, and that's Insight for this week. Additional reporting by digital journalist Leilani Monmoisia. You can share and podcast this and other insights from rnz.co.nz forward slash insight or head to iTunes, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. That programme was produced by me, Philippa Tolley, with technical production by Phil Benge. If you'd like to hear more of our podcasts, head to radionz.co.nz forward slash insight or listen, rate and subscribe to Insight on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. Ka kite anō.